Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you? I'm doing well. I've got yeah. my coffee. i got some dark chocolate today. Yeah. And it's fueling me. Yeah. Dark it's... chocolate is like medicine sometimes. It really is. I've like, I've started doing tea and dark chocolate in the evening oh, or the afternoon yeah. uh-huh. and it feels... Instead of coffee. coffee yeah. It feels really great. Yeah. But now you're doing coffee. And yeah. Because you, you offered. You, you, you offered. I did. I was <laughs> making the coffee. Like, ah, fine. Yeah. You can't fine. say no to good coffee. Uh, we're in the book of Amos we today. Are. First time book. in Amos. I'm excited. It's the first time I've ever studied Amos. Yeah, I have a history with Amos, but it's been so long that I feel like I had to restudy everything. But I did my largest paper in my undergraduate degree in Bible and biblical languages on the book of Amos. On the whole book of Amos? Yeah. And like the theme of social justice in the book of Amos. Uh, and you weren't wrong to do so. No, but it was also, it wasn't really, mo- it was motivated by the text itself, but it was also yeah. motivated by like that time in my life yeah. uh, where I was very much dedicated to the social justice ideas of Christianity, which mm-hmm. I am now too, but it, there are other, there was like an angsty teenager was, place. That and I think it was also, that, that's the only thing that was, that my Christianity was mm-hmm. my, it was only social justice. It was angst at the way that everyone else was doing it wrong. Like I'm going to be better than everybody. Exactly. It was yeah. a proud mm-hmm. social justice. And now it's like, uh, now it's like, hopefully I'm pursuing more of a humble one yeah. amongst an, a, a wider view of everything else. But we do want to focus in on Amos's yeah. chief concern here, which is uh, social issues as it pertains to justice and mercy and yeah. righteousness. Uniquely among all, maybe not among all the minor prophets, but uniquely as an emphasis, mm-hmm. Amos has injustice, uh, mistreatment of the poor, yeah. and the inequality between the lazy rich and mm-hmm. the hardworking poor right. as a central concern. So if you've ever heard... Um, like the debates about is the gospel a message that you're supposed to proclaim or a life you're supposed to or a live. life you're supposed to live amos kind of cuts right to the heart of it mm. it's like do we preach do we do social justice or do we proclaim the gospel and amos can say you're going to do both of those things <laughs> yeah. and here's the way that 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 should play out in the nation of israel mm. and so it's really i mean i've heard this conversation happening everywhere mm. maybe not so much recently but like right. um it's it's a live conversation. Oh, How does social justice impact uh, our proclamation of the gospel, mm-hmm. or even like the critical race theory stuff? Like that's the, a mm-hmm. racial conversation on top of a social justice conversation. But like all of that's concerned with on the bottom was how do Christians engage society well? Mm. How do we engage our neighbors well? How do we combat injustice as we see it? And to what ex- is there a place when too much focus on injustice over eclipses the gospel. Right. Or, um, or does there come a, a point where so much focus on uh, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, makes us not care for the poor around us? Yes. Yes. Amos goes right to the heart of all those things, <laughs> yeah. and that's why you should want to study the book of Amos. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we're going to, instead of doing like an introduction episode and then picking apart the book, uh, because Amos lays out so clearly in three sections, mm-hmm. we're just going to attack it that way. Yep. So... Maybe it's a three-part introduction, or we're just going straight through it. However you want to view that, here we go. Here we go. But sections, uh, the sections that we're going to go through are chapters, are one, chapters and one and two, which are? It's the Amos' judgments against all of the nations, mm-hmm. and Israel in particular, in their most condensed form. Okay, so like and then three the to six. Cl- uh, three to six is... Um, Functionally, all the ways that Israel has broken God's covenant mm. and the promise and prophecy of a coming exile uh, that right. will come at the hands of the Assyrians, um, depending on when you date it, right. sometime in the future. And that actually happens. Yes. And then the last section is seven to nine. Yes. And it's kind of more of the same in the mm-hmm. sense, 
promise of coming destruction. But what's unique about the last section is the ending. Is not only the ending, oh. but what he does. It's a series of visions. Oh right, yeah. Right. He's like, uh, what do you see? And it's like a flaming pot or something. Yeah, I it's can't a remember. basket of fruit. A basket and of fruit. And, yeah. uh, a fire coming, consuming uh, everything. A plague a of locusts line. and a plumb line. Yeah. So all yeah, the plumb line is probably the most famous image yes. from Amos, and that comes at the very end. Okay. And a series of five visions, uh. and then at the very last paragraph, you get this message of good news that's coming from the line of David. Yeah. And we'll talk about all that. Very excited to get there. That's the three sections. Okay. You have overview, the cliff notes of judgment. You have the covenant unfaithfulness of Israel and the promise of exile. And then his visions and the promise of restorations by the hand of King David. Okay. That's, that's helpful. It. That's really helpful. Thank you. Okay. So the book opens with the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> he was a shepherd? He was a shepherd. He wasn't some like I don't know. Do, do, do prophets normally have some kind of well, heritage? Or? Well, yeah, because think about the way that prophets are viewed throughout the book of Kings. Mm. They're almost like this royal figure. Oh, and they have to like be an, like Elijah kind mm-hmm. of bequeathed his mantle to Elisha. Right. Or yeah. even the role that Nathan the prophet picked. Played mm-hmm. in King David's court, he has this official court position where he informs the king on God on God's word and how he would function, mm-hmm. like how he should. Right, but behave. Amos is like a normal dude, and like his ministry is like out among the people, and in like he's a, like political he's liaisons end up yeah. going and reporting what he's saying to the king. He's not in the king's court, right? It's so very different. If you go to Amos chapter seven, we have a strange thing at the very end where he get kind of gives his own um, bi- autobiography. Mm. And he says, um, I was no prophet, hmm. chapter, verse seven fourteen, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos, uniquely among some of the prophets, isn't one by birth or by heritage or by pedigree. God kind of like plucks him out of nowhere mm. and um, baptizes him for this particular ministry to his people. And that'll get picked up throughout the letter because... Amos kind of uniquely is concerned with like agricultural imagery. Mm. This types of things he picks up on are kind of unique to the fact that he's a farmer. And you have this injustice that's happening between the rich of Israel and the poor of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so Amos, as a farmer, is not among the privileged. Right. So he's being brought up from the humble mm. to shame the the strong and the rich. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, which is like a picture of the gospel in itself. Yes. Like that, the the humble shames the strong, yeah, the weak shames the wise. That's exactly right. Yeah. And Amos, even in that capacity, the shepherd prophet is... A picture well, of Jesus. Is a picture of Jesus, the shepherd yeah. prophet who prophesies an end to the corrupt systems mm. of Rome and the Pharisees, providing a new way um, forward by his yeah. blood and spirit. Okay, so then that's who Amos is. Where Amos preached and when Amos preached is also really important. Because he was in what's called Israel's Silver Age under Jeroboam II. Mm-hmm. And he's in the northern Israel. Well, he's actually from southern Israel. Mm, but he, he Tekoa, mm. is, it's, he's a shepherd of Tekoa, which mm-hmm. is right on the border. Mm-hmm. So more than likely, he was based in Judah, mm. which is the southern kingdom. Right. And his sheep would wander across the border. And he was just like observing both places mm. over the course of his time as a shepherd. So he's kind of like, he's in the faithful half of Israel or the more faithful half of Israel down in the south. But he's seen the decadence of the north and has enough proximity to it to know how to speak against it. Right. And he spends most of the time indicting the north. That's right. Right. Yeah. So the northern kingdom, if you remember from uh, like kings, that is the, the that is the the kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel that don't have Jerusalem or the temple. Mm-hmm. And instead, the first Jeroboam set up idols and a new place of worship. Golden calves. Golden even. calves even yeah. that ended up defining them as a nation um, apostate from God. Yep. And so, um, and, and like for all intents and purposes, it seem, they, they think that everything's great because it's all been up and to the right for them. Like everything right. keeps growing. Their crops keep coming in. The rains keep falling. Mm-hmm. The money keeps piling up. They're in the Silver Age, only outmatched by the time of Solomon, the Golden Age of Israel. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, we're doing like really basic ritualistic observance of, you know, our Yahwehism, you know, mm-hmm. worship of God alone. Yeah. Uh, we're also dabbling in these other cultic pagan Canaanite religions and everything's fine and actually everything's great. Everything's better than it was before. Yeah, so actually I think we've we've got it made in the shade. I think we've got God on a leash 
and we can kind of go to church as we want, you know, go, if yeah. you will, you know, kind of go to go to temple as we want, uh, worship as we want, offer kind of like half-hearted sacrifices to keep God placated or keep him on our side. Uh, but we've got this all figured out and everything's good. Yeah. I think the other way to talk about that too was, so there was this, the the play, place um, Gilgal and Bethel mm. will get brought up a lot in Amos. And those are the two places that Jeroboam planted the first two golden calves. Right. So these are these famous places of worship. And they added to the place that they were supposed to worship Yahweh, all the gods of the surrounding nations. Mm. So Israel at this time is making treaties with a whole bunch of other nations and it's contributing to their wealth. They're mm. getting wealthy. At the same time, they're importing all the gods of those other nations. Mm. So the wealth that's happening in Israel is directly tied to their idolatry. Right. So their Amos is when he's speaking against their wealth, he's also speaking against their idolatry. And those two things will butt up against each other often enough throughout, mm. throughout the book of Amos. That's helpful. Um, okay. So it's a rich time for Israel, mm-hmm. Northern Israel. They have started importing other gods, making uh, illegal when it comes to God's covenant, you know, alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have built a functional uh, stratified economy where you have the few rich preying on the many poor. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's where and when and who Amos, Amos, Amos is, is preaching and, to. Okay. That makes sense. So then you kind of get all that in the first two verses in that little section in chapter nine. That oh, there, there was one question I had. Oh, yeah. Uh, it says it says that, that, that Amos started preaching two years before the earthquake. Yeah. What's that? What is that? Well, historians will quibble over exactly when that is, but Jeroboam's reign was probably about 40 years ish mm-hmm. before the Babylon or the Syrian uh, invasion and then exile of Israel. So I don't know. It's just a famous earthquake, and there's little allusions to it all throughout Amos. Oh, so in okay. chapter 2, 13, you have this kind of oblique reference to it where it says, uh, Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses mm. down. Think of this really heavy cart on the ground, and the ground just shatters underneath it. Mm. So, like, you have, maybe that's an oblique reference to the earthquake. In eight eight, you have a reference to shaking, and okay. chapter nine as well. So he's like Interesting. making references to it throughout the book of Amos. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, the other thing I I read was um, we're talking about like historically or whatever. Uh, they've done archaeological digs in like what the region of Samaria and like where the northern kingdom was and at things that date during Jeroboam the second's reign whenever Amos was prophesying they found all of these uh, signs of decadence like tons of ivory tons of like fancy materials and ornate structures and it's like this is historically corroborated this Hmm. time in Amos that it was lavish and so I was just like, well, that's interesting. That is super interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's what, that's who Amos is. That's when he's prophesying. That's who he's prophesying to. And then we move on in verse chapter two or verse two to his judgments against the nations. Okay, so we're going to start looking at Amos's judgment of the nations in one to two or actually the nations are chapter one yes okay so verse two says this the lord roars from zion and utters his voice from jerusalem and pasture the pastures of the sheep shepherds mourn and the top of carmel withers yeah this is an interesting picture of god as like a roaring lion and the world like shaking in fear at his voice why is this the starting picture for the book of Amos of God? I don't know why he <laughs> yeah. chose this image, but he picks up on it often enough. It's a common theme in Amos. Yep. Amos will talk about the voice of the Lord, the roaring of the Lord, the trembling that the Lord causes. Yeah, and he, and he even almost talks about his own ministry in terms of God as a roaring lion. He talks about how like the lion has roared, who can but tremble? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? You know, mm-hmm. he links his own ministry. Yep. Amos's own ministry, he sees it as a response to the loud voice of God. Yeah. You know, like God is roaring out and is angry and is and someone has to say something. You know, like, right. like I just resonate with that feeling sometimes when you just something so bad is happening that you like start to just I like just shake. Have to say and I, I just have to say something. Well, that's interesting for two reasons. One Amos picks up that idea of being like muzzled as a prophet, I think three different times. Yeah. And historically, more than likely, Amos is one of the first prophets 
like as when we think of minor prophets and major prophets, so Amos, Joel, right. Obadiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, historically, Amos was probably one, one of, of the, the first. earliest. Yep. So you can imagine then the decadence of Israel going unchecked by any voice of the Lord for yeah. a period of time. Could you imagine being like the first Oracle of Doom prophet? Yes. And then and so, Amos is like, you really want me to say that? No one's ever said that before. Yes. <laughs> you know, like God is judging Israel. Aren't they his covenant people? Yeah. Like, I never thought of it that way, where it's like he's doing something almost novel, at least in terms of what we have in the canon of Scripture. Who knows if there were other other prophets? Right. There you know. definitely were other prophets, yes. you know, like prophesying whatever. But like a prophet in this vein, yeah. Amos is probably one of the first. Yeah. So this idea that the Lord roars from Zion and he's his mouthpiece and even mentions the pastures of the shepherds mourn. As a shepherd, he's watching the his own people like wither as the rich get richer Mm. and he's calling out on behalf of the poor of israel yeah but also like what the if the top of carmel which is a mountain Mm -hmm. if it mourns is that kind of like the low places mourn and the high places mourn like the places that are like it could be is that what he's doing there it could also be the humble and the proud carmel elijah is where God like burned up the offering uh-huh. and the prophets of Baal all cut themselves and try to get Baal to come and burn up their uh-huh. offering, but didn't. So it's like the top of Carmel, either were your prophets are mm-hmm. all prophesying are withering or even um, God's voice is withering on the mountain. So it's like he's roaring. No, I mean, that doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, I think it's probably the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably that first one. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah, under the voice of the Lord, all the prophets of Baal are withering just right. like they did yeah. when. Or the high and the proud. Yeah, yeah. But also the lower hurting. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole system is yes. messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just an introductory comment. And then he goes on this long rant, and it all starts with the same way. Mm-hmm. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke punishment. He does that to Damascus, to Gaza, to Tyre, to uh, Edom, to the Ammonites, to Moab, to Judah, and then to finally Israel. And it repeats the same pattern for mm-hmm. three and for four. So it's kind of just a literary device he's yes. using. It shows up in the book of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows up elsewhere in Scripture. And the only the idea is the sins are stacking up. That's right. And for three, and let me emphasize the fourth. Yeah, I would have judged you for these three, but now there's a fourth one. It's yes. like, yeah, it's like it's like we've got you convicted on manslaughter, breaking and entering this other thing, but then when you did this, it it's broke like, the camel's back. Yeah, and it's like we could have taken you to court for any of them. Yes, <laughs> but enough is enough. Yeah. is what he's getting at And here. he even mentioned court. Possibly this is even some sort of like covenant litigation. Yes. So you have like treaties that nations made between one another. And if one sh- the n- one nation reneged on their part of the covenant, mm-hmm. the more powerful nation or the wrong nation comes and say, well, for three transgressions and for four, I'm coming up against you because you've failed your half of the partnership. Right. It's not like I'm just coming to you and beating you up for no reason. Here's yes. a list of reasons why I'm in my right to exact yes. this punishment against you. Yes. That's so, what God's doing to these surrounding nations. Right. Okay. And he, what I think he's doing here, so for three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke punishment. And then he names one. So it's as if God is only naming the last and most egregious right. of all the sins of these nations. And interestingly, as you go through this list, they're all the nations that surround Israel. That's right. So it's like Damascus and Tyre and uh, Gaza. They all like circle circle around Israel. Yeah, and more, and interestingly, they not only they definitely encircle Israel, but the the order in which they're named is in a circle. It crisscrosses Israel like an X. So it's like Israel's in the center exactly. of God's <laughs> prophetic crosshairs. In the, Israel's in the crosshairs. It's yeah. like oh. the it's like the nations form the circle of the scope, but yeah. Israel is in the dead center where the sniper is going to hit. It's so it's kind of a brilliant piece of literary it's design. Very brilliant. And it's like really, if you were an Israelite, you're like, oh yeah, oh. they deserve it. Oh, if it, it, but where about us? They just yeah, you skipped started, us. You're starting and to feel east and the west. Like they skipped us again. <laughs> Northeast and southwest. They did it again. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's happening. Yes. And so, and it's worth going through what each of these yeah. nations have done. So significantly, Amos calls out the surrounding nations like inhumanity and brutality. Mm. So uh, Syria, which is Damascus, yeah. like raises the territory of Gilead and says they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So threshing is like 
That's how you harvest something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And to do it with a, an iron thresh mm. is like to do it brutally, to do it merciless, mercilessly. Yeah. So the idea is they've gone into Gilead and they just haven't conquered. They've pillaged. Yeah, they've committed war crimes. They've committed war crimes. That's yeah. right. Okay. And then he moves on to uh, the Philistines. They raided and then human trafficked their prisoners to the neighboring nation of Edom. Mm. Uh, then Tyre slave trades another enslaves a nation and then slave trades them away to another nation. Oh my goodness. Uh, Edom viciously attacks its brother country and right. slaughters their women. Mm. So Edom again is a relative mm-hmm. of Jacob, which is Israel. So like they're brother nations. Yeah, so Jacob you, and Esau were brothers. Yeah. Jacob's descendants went on to form Israel. Esau's descendants went on to form Edom and they should be brothers and mm-hmm. should partner together and should be even covenantly tangential, mm-hmm. but instead they're breaking that brotherly bond Edom is yeah. and viciously attacking their own brother. Right. So Amos is calling out them for doing so. The Ammonites were told specifically rip children from inside their pregnant mothers to ensure that no line continues of the the people that they're... um, they're fighting against and then Moab this is a strange one but they desecrate the grave of their kings Mm. so they they bring up the bones of their dead kings and they just like it's like they just desecrate graves right Moab is a nation that desecrates graves yeah I mean you could imagine going to another country and beating them in war but then, like, imagine if, 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 imagine if America was conquered, right? Okay. And then someone goes, and they're like, okay, we, you won, fine, we surrender. And they're like, no, now we're going to the Arlington Cemetery. And then digging up And the they bones. just digging, and they just destroy yes. the, just no respect, and yeah. just insult to injury, all shame, no honor. Yes. Yeah. They're committing oh, war crimes. I'm also thinking about Negan from The Walking Dead. Like, I don't know if watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> it's like he hangs the heads of his enemies on the wall oh, outside goodness. of his like fortress. Yeah. Like, th- that's what's happening. Okay. And then those are all the nations surrounding Israel. They're being called out for their inhumanity, their war crimes, their human trafficking. And then it comes a little bit closer home to Judah. Mm-hmm. And we're told that Judah... Oh, before, sorry. Oh, yeah. Real quick, before you go to Judah, something interesting to know here to add on to maybe what Israel was thinking as they were listening to Amos and like the inner cultural narrative that they had was um, they've been winning battles up to this point. Like, they've actually expanded their territory at this point, mm-hmm. and these are the nations that have been doing war against them and trying to infringe on their boundaries and have failed. And so they're thinking, as God is pronouncing judgments on them, mm-hmm. they're thinking like, yeah, God's on our side. Yeah, we're winning military battles. Yeah, we're in the right. But then Judah gets mentioned, and it could either be like, okay, that's getting a little too close to home. You know, yeah. like, I'm getting uncomfortable. Or it could be like, yeah, the southern kingdom stinks, and we are the we are the champions. Fascinating. We're the, you know, so like, right, right, it could, right, right. It could end up feeding. Everyone could have been on Amos' side. Exactly. For a while, uh-huh. and then the knife gets turned. Exactly. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, then Judah, when Amos finally mentions Judah, there's an innovation. There's mm-hmm. a change in how he addresses them. And Judah is Jerusalem, where the temple is. This is David's line. That's right. Okay. It says, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke punishment. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Yep. This no is, longer war crimes and things like well, that. Well, no, I think oh. it's... Uh, so none of the other nations are indicted for their breaking of the law. Right. Because they don't have the law. Right. They're indicted for abuses against humanity. Yeah. But when it comes to Israel, I don't think we're... I think Judah, sorry. Uh-huh. Judah is not just being inhuman. They're also breaking God's law. They're adding to the inhumanity of the nations around them. Why do you the think the breaking that? of the law because of where it's placed in the whole scree? Amos is like indicting the nations for their treatment of other people. Judah is more faithful than Israel. I think mm-hmm. that's what you're pointing at. But it's yeah. not. Yeah, totally I'm trying to find innocent. like historical precedent for Judah's soldiers committing war crimes like this. War crimes, maybe not, but it's not. I don't think we're just supposed to say, "Oh, you've just transgressed the covenant." Well, I, I mean, I think th- it's. I think. I think we don't have to say that. I think we would say. Oh, transgressing the covenant is as bad as war crimes. Yes, that's what you're supposed to think. That's, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it wouldn't even be a stretch to say 
they've done, gone further than that. They've not just committed war crimes. They've also broken the law of the Lord, which is even more egregious. Right. Yeah. So it's like the so the three and the four. Yeah. The fourth was always a war the worst. crime. Yeah. So here it's like you're embedding all the other thing, and the worst thing that's happening is you're breaking the law of the Lord. I think you're you could imply that the other things happening in Israel. You could. I, I do think uh, maybe the easiest reading of the text yeah. is, which is like a, for people listening, like that's like the, the, one of the biblical rules of interpretation is what's the most natural mm-hmm. conclusion you would come to by reading. And it seems like it would be the most natural reading would be, uh, oh, for three and for four, it's going to be really bad war crime. Right, right. It's like, well, you broke the law, mm-hmm. but it's the same punishment. Mm-hmm. Man, breaking the law must be way worse than I thought it was. I w- I've been treating the covenant so mm. poorly. Right, right, right. And it's like, oh, because they're all sins against God, ultimately. Right. And so whether or not they've been committing acts of, like, horrible acts of war or, quote, unquote, just breaking right. God's yeah. commandment, <laughs> right. it's terrible yes. what they're doing. And God is also going to judge Judah as he is going to judge the nations. And it introduces to us the basis on which Israel will be judged here in just a second. Which so, is the law? Which is the law. Okay. So and when so that's all the nations surrounding Israel. Mm-hmm. Even Judah indicted for breaking the law. It comes to Israel. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke punishment. And instead of just mentioning one, he mentions all four. <laughs> like, uh-oh. <laughs> Amos is not messing around by the time he gets to Israel. He says, you've sold the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of tram- uh, of sand. Oh, sorry. You've sold the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals mm-hmm. and those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. You turn aside from the way of the afflicted and a man and his father go to the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God, they drink the wines who, of those who have been fined. It's this kind of really holistic picture of the depravity of Israel and a total rejection of God's law as well mm-hmm. and it's like this is the climax of amos's speech and it's the point where the knife is turned that's right israel's not israel's indifferent than the other nations right they're worse than the other nations. well yeah because the other nations were doing these crimes against other nations mm-hmm. israel is committing this these like horrible atrocities against their own people yeah like not that the not that what i'm saying like that the other nations are okay because they did that to other yeah. nations but it's like even, even the most brutal nations know you treat your you treat your your you own treat kind. your own better yeah. than this. Yeah, and just to make sure we hear what Amos is saying here, he says so Israel is selling her own people into slavery. That's right. Uh, and over petty debts, the debts of sandals. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. It's like oh, somebody went into slavery for a pair of sandals, and you're okay with this, Israel? Right. That kind of systemic injustice is commonplace among you you're oppressing the poor through neglect and then fathers and sons are drunkenly abusing women on the same cloaks they took from the poor as collateral yep which is crazy so it's like it's yes. like everyone's complicit in the system that i thought that was just, i thought that was that part oh, was crazy it's They're, absolutely disgusting there there's so there's a there's a law and it's from the like it's like like there are there are laws controlling this this cultural rule in in the Torah, but the idea here is that um, if you are going to like give a day loan to a poor person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you then you would like take their garment as collateral, like yeah. their 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 coat. So that night it's going to get cold, and they're going to need a coat, right? Or else they're going to freeze. Yep. And so they're going to have to work in order to get their coat back. Right, that, and, that's how they do it. And they would take that cloak, and instead of letting it go back to the needy person so they don't freeze to death that night, they instead have sex on it with their own, like a father will have sex with a woman with his own son on yeah. this coat while getting drunk on wine that was purchased with the <laughs> fines they collected. From the needy. From the needy. Yeah, it, this is a horrible yeah. system. And the, the father and the son going into this, into the same girl. It could be a couple different things. It could it be could. incest. Right. It could be cult prostitution. It could be cult prostitution. So it's like, whatever it is, it's bad. It, yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's horrific, whatever it is. So not only have they committed inhumanity like the nations around them, not only have they broken God's law, they've also gone against the way that God saved them. 
the next ver- mm. couple verses. Also, it was I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you for 40 uh, years in the wilderness. And I raised up your sons for prophets. He's saying like, I saved you from slavery mm. and now you're oppressing the people, your own people, the same way that Israel, uh, Egypt oppressed you. How on earth can this be possible? Yeah. Why you're being hypocrites on top of being everything else. Man. Yeah. Like it's like the salvation that God worked for them hasn't worked no real change on them. Yes. Yeah. And they, goodness. And then his judgment. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain their strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow will not stand, the swift of foot will not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse to save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. Mm. Even the most brazen and bold abusers are going to run away naked from God's righteous anger at the way that Israel's oppressing its poor. Yeah. And that's Amos 1 and 2. Okay. <laughs> that's intense. Uh, it seems like part of part of this um, has to not only do with, I think we've only talked about Israel's sin in terms of it being worse than the nations, mm-hmm. which, okay, let's put that on the table. I think something else that is happening here is Israel's sin is worse because of who they are in relation yes. to God. Yes. That they're not like the nations. They mm-hmm. don't have Yahweh as their God. They don't have the law that told them how to live as light in this world, how to be God in this world. Right? And yeah, it's chapter like, three, verse two, you only have I known of mm. all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for right. all your iniquities. They had this great calling on themselves and they abused it. Right. And there are going to be great consequences because of it. Because they were specially called by God, there's a special punishment laid out for them for neglecting it. Mm. Okay, so I, I'm wanting to jump to some things, but I'm trying to, to sit here for a second. Yeah. Um, let, can I, let me ask a dumb question to hopefully have a smart conversation. Great. <laughs> My favorite kind. Uh, why is God so mad about the mistreatment of the poor? I mean, I mean, it's a dumb. It feels like it, a dumb. It feels question. like a dumb question. You're right, but because he does. <laughs> well, I mean, one throughout the Torah, mm-hmm. there were provisions to care for the poor. Yes, um, and they're violating his laws to care for the poor. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then even Israel itself had been poor in Egypt, and he showed compassion and mercy on them mm-hmm. in saving them. So the ways God acts. And the commands God gives both reveal who God is. God is a God who cares for the oppressed, the poor, the needy, the marginalized. And when we don't, we are rebelling against the character and the heart of God. Yes. Like the reason why God is so angry here is because we are, or against Israel, is because Israel is acting contrary to his nature. They're not being like God. Right. Yes. And Israel was supposed to be like God in the world to the surrounding That's nations. Right. Leviticus says, be holy as I am holy. And like, in the middle, in that prophetic crosshairs, they are worse than the surrounding nations. That's right. It's almost as if the nations around them are taking cues from Israel in the opposite direction That's right. of God's calling. Yeah, the point them. of Israel was supposed to be that they would embed themselves among the nations and make the surrounding nations better and yeah. more like God and make the world more like the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. But instead, they have brought decreation chaos and death into the world, bringing about and um, exacerbating the fall and the death that came from it instead. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So it's like, why does God care about the oppression of the poor? I mean, because God is a God that cares for the poor and the weak. That's who he is in his character. He has mercy and compassion and Israel has abandoned those things. Is there an answer to the question, why does God care for the poor? Other than like, that's who he's revealed himself to be. And if that's it, right. then that's fine. It's, you know, but I'm, I'm just like, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, in God's self-revelation of himself, yeah. it's like, that's who he's coming towards. I mean, when God first spoke to Abraham at the burning bush. Moses. Oh, sorry, what did I say? <laughs> Abraham. Abraham. It's, he, sa- he tells them, I've seen the oppression of my people, Israel. He's a God who sees oppression and responds. And then even when Jesus comes on the scene and speaking in the tabernacle, I've come to, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and says, I've mm-hmm. come to preach good news to the poor. Mm-hmm. It's like whenever God chooses to reveal himself most vividly in the burning bush and in Jesus Christ himself, the poor are not far from his mind. Right. Um, and I don't know another way to, 
say that except maybe like if you like God has all power and has all wealth, right? Yes. So the very act of creation is an act of benevolence to the poor. Is an act of benevolence to the poor. Because he takes something that is not and makes it something that is lavish. Yeah. In the act of creation. So that, yeah, again, that's but that's still a self-revelation. Right. That's not talking about like the nature why it is the nature of God such that it cares for the weak and cares for the poor. You know, and it's like, okay, and maybe I can maybe like I think I'm trying to like lead breadcrumbs somewhere. But yeah. But it's like if I add another component to this, it, it might this the answer might become self-evident that it's uh God cares for the poor uh or like why does God care for the poor and we know that God is good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if God is all powerful yet good, if God did not care for the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, could he still be good? <laughs> Yeah. Now, uh, now, obviously, this is cir- a circular argument because right. it begs, it, it, like, God is the very definition of good and evil, you know, based on who He is, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I just think, like, there's a comfort here I'm trying to get at that um, it is it is such good news that God cares for the poor in His own character, mm-hmm. and that He who has all power, all strength, all riches, um, and could wield it however He wishes, you know that he does so and acts like with the least in mind. Yeah. Because if he didn't, we would have a different kind of God, mm-hmm. perhaps right. a tyrant. Yeah. And instead we have a God who cares so much for the poor that he becomes like us and dies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like that, that that's a God who can be a lion who roars in the mountains shake that you can still come up and hug like like Lucy mm. hugs Aslan <laughs> yeah. in Narnia. You know, like anyway, I'm just trying to like Yeah, yeah. Deal I don't with think that. I don't think I've ever like it's one of those questions I never ask, like, why is God good? Right. I'm just I'm getting what philosophical. Reason? No, it's I good. Yeah. I think it's 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 forcing me to be like, okay, well the reason I know God is good is because every time he reveals himself throughout scripture, he reveals himself as a good God, mm-hmm. as a God who is mindful of the poor and the weak. I, it, this gets brought up at the end of the book of Amos when Amos is begging for forgiveness and asking God to relent. And he says, Israel is so small. Why did God choose Israel in the first place? Not because it was the strongest, but because it was the least of the people of right. the world. That's what he says in Deuteronomy for his yeah, Deuteronomy reason 7, why 7. He, he chose yeah. them. Yeah. So it's like there's like when God chooses to reveal himself, it is always towards the least mm-hmm. that he does so. And... The, so, so the simple answer is the God revealed in Scripture is a God who tends towards, who cares for, and has compassion towards the poor. Another way to word it uh, would be, or uses His benevolence and generosity yeah. for the sake of those who have nothing. Right. Another another way to think about it is why does God care for the poor, and it's because that gets Him the most glory. Is another way to think about it. It's how He is seen as most good, mm. because He is good. Yeah. And when people encounter him, they will encounter him as most good when he's good to those who the rest of the world say is undeserving. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so there's there's lots of different answers to this question. Yeah. So maybe let's focus there then on how does the, the story of Jesus complete the idea of the God who's benevolent to the poor? Yeah. Because I think there's the, the other side of this is the God who hates injustice. Which we'll, we'll get there. But let's, like, let's just land this plane. So like, yeah. how does the God who cares for the poor... How is that God seen in Jesus? Mm. I mean, we already said it. He begins his ministry in Luke 4. Luke 4, yeah. I have come to set at liberty the captives Mm -hmm. and to proclaim good news to the poor. Right. Jesus defines the coming of his own kingdom in terms of social justice, Mm -hmm. of justice towards those who've been marginalized. Yeah. Um, His ministry is done among the poor. Mm -hmm. He He kind of like controversially refuses to engage with the religious elite mm-hmm. preferring to engage with the the uh the religiously the religiously poor like right. the tax collectors right. the prostitutes the sinners yeah um much of his healing ministry is done among widows mm-hmm. <laughs> like children like i think you it's pretty i think most people even non-christians come to the story of jesus coming away with the idea that Jesus cared for the poor. Yeah, they're, it's hard not to be moved by Jesus as a quote, and I hate, I almost don't even want to say this, as a humanitarian, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and that's kind of where people stop. A lot of people stop right. with Jesus there. Um, because you also run up into 
sayings of Jesus where he sounds more like the lion roaring, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and it's like, they want to skip over those. Uh, but even the, just meditating on this for a second, it's like, even the idea of Jesus is proof that God cares for the poor and the marginalized because Jesus as a named human, you know, didn't exist yet. God, the, you had God, the son and eternally passed, you know, living with the spirit, you know, in the Trinity forever. And then he condescended hmm. to become like his creation. And to go back to what you said, if the act of creation itself is benevolent, hmm. if the act of creation itself so was, was God pouring himself into nothingness, in order to give nothing, something, then he takes himself and puts himself into that Mm -hmm. thing he benevolently created in his incarnation when he became human. And so even the humanity of Jesus is proof of God's love of the poor and the marginalized because as humans to the divine, we've talked about like inside humanity, there are the rich and the poor the privileged and the marginalized, right? And that is true. I don't want to negate that. But all of us together, collectively as humanity, are completely marginalized and less compared to God. Yeah. And yet God entered into human poverty, into humanity, into finiteness and mortality, right? Like that was the ultimate act of condescension. I mean, that's... Capitalized by the cross. I mean, isn't that what uh, Philippians says? Yeah, he made himself nothing, taking on the very appearance of man um, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Ephesians, or uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 12. No, Paul Paul uses the language of... Oh, no, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for that for your sakes, Mm. he being rich... Became, became poor, poor. right? Go. So yeah, so Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians eight, yep. and as a motivation for our own generosity to other people, right? Like Paul saw the incarnation as, as an act of generosity. Yes, um, yeah, totally. But, the incarnation, yeah, is an act of the rich becoming poor. Yes, yeah, okay, that's awesome. And then, um, and then you have all this like in the atonement. Yeah, so know, we, have, yeah, we have incarnation, incarnation, Jesus, birth, his life, generosity. Life, generosity, and then his death. Yeah, and his death in the atonement. The so much of atonement theory, and like the way the atonement is talked about. Or to get out of my head here, the how do you talk about Jesus saving us? What does it sound like? How do we explain how Jesus saves us? So much of the language is um, economic language. Redemption is a, that a, we were we were we were we had a debt of sin, mm-hmm. and like the only way to pay it off is with death. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, Romans yeah. talks about that. Like the wages of sin is death. That's economic language. Yeah. Redemption is a, is from the slave market. So that's how you like, that's, that's right. how you bought and sold slaves was with the word redemption. Right. And like he paid our price, mm-hmm. you know, like the wages of sin. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like all of that is like Jesus uh, being the, the, the one who was rich in terms of his own goodness, lavishly paid for the debts of the morally bankrupt. Hmm. Yeah. And like, that's another way that Jesus loves the poor. Yeah. Uh, Not just yeah. the physically poor, but the, the morally, the, the morally, morally poor. Yeah. And I think that's even, that's really, it's like, I think, um, I think the theological word is like totally depraved. Right. The morally poor hmm. feels really uh, res- like uh, resonant within me in a way that I haven't felt before. It's like, oh, I'm morally poor. Poor, right? I think I can identify with that really easily. Been like, totally depraved. Totally depraved. Obviously, like there's a theological truth there. Yes, but it's like they're like morally poor. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I recognize the way that I'm complicit in injust systems. Yeah. I recognize the, the way that I failed in all these. A lot of my like, times, even my best actions have bent motives. Yes, yeah. like I recognize that, like implicitly being morally poor, and the idea of needing like a morally generous person mm-hmm. to make up for my deficiencies feels like really good news. Yeah. Um, and not one who just makes up for my deficiencies, but like cancels the debt. Yeah. Like I know, like we, we joke around the office about how I just keep a running list of things in my mind <laughs> of how I could be doing things better. And I have this like running list of deficiencies in my mind, but like private to be like objectively canceled mm-hmm. is really powerful. Good news. Yeah. That's very good news. Oh. So yeah, God loves the poor and Jesus proved it in his incarnation, life, 
Death. And then recreation, and then recreation, which will be the final act of generosity, generosity. towards the poor. the The streets will be gold. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, the, gold will be so commonplace, you'll just pave your streets with it. You'll walk on it. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if they know if it'll actually be streets of gold, right. but it'll be better than streets of gold, oh, regardless yes. of what it is. Uh, but like, it's an image of the divine generosity of God towards people who are poor. Mm-hmm. We don't deserve streets of gold. We don't deserve the very face of God. Yeah. We don't deserve a a, a a city where the gates are always open because there's are, no threat. Because there's no threats anymore. Like, I get the indulgence of God free in mm. heaven. Um, it's yeah. Big, big, it's a well, and like I was also thinking about resurrection life as as an act of generosity. Mm-hmm. That Jesus, because of his sinless life was raised from the dead as yeah. an act of God's vindication of an innocent, you know, sufferer. And he was clothed with immortality and radiance and glory. Mm-hmm. And then first John three, two says that when we see him, when he returns, we'll become like him. And like Jesus will generously give us his own glorified form. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, yeah, there is an act of generosity. Not only did he lay his life down, he then gives us his glorified life. Yeah. I'm like, man, he's just, I was thinking unendingly generous Ephesians one this goes back to redemption in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished Lavished. on us with all wisdom and insight, making known to the mystery of his will. Remember we memorized this? Yes. We, a long time ago, our like little accountability group memorized the book of Ephesians and we performed it verbatim for our student ministry, (laughs) which was awesome. It was awesome. It was 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 fun. We should do something like that again. Um, and I was, also thinking one other way that the theme of generosity plays into the story of the cross and God's care for the poor is that is the idea of the host. Jesus is will serve will serve us at the wedding supper of the Lamb, just like he served the disciples at the Last Supper. Yes, yeah, and Jesus is a generous host mm. to his people. And this is why the Catholics will refer to the mass, to uh, the, the bread U- and the wine, the Eucharist. The, the Eucharist, as the host. Right. This is the generosity of God and bread and wine, the eternal life of God, the, his blood and his life ingested into us to allow us, to empower us mm. to live our lives now. Like the fact when you take communion on Sunday is another act of divine generosity towards the morally and physically poor. Mm. Like, that's still happening. Yeah. Okay, one thing just hit me. I'm going to take a sharp turn. Okay. Which I think will take us into the judgment section. Uh, I was just thinking about, um, like, okay, we, we this is all really good. And we're talking about, we're theologizing God's love of the poor. And like yes. it's really we're meditating on the nature of God, the good news of the gospel, and like all this is blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I just got, got there's another one. There's another one. <laughs> but we're like we're like, and that's all really good. What I want to do here is like, okay, that's who God is, but Israel was being indicted because that's who God is, but they weren't being like God. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, can we stop for a second and just like mourn a little bit with Amos about how we sell the needy for a pair of sandals and like like how much injustice and marginalization and oppression and subjugation is prevalent not only in America but all over the world like it is and we have an we have a uh humanities long <laughs> epidemic of economic um cultural societal oppression it's how we function as humans yes we always build systems of oppression uh, yes. And like, especially as people in America who are white and male, uh, it's very easy for us to forget that we are the ones who are probably closest to being in the center of Amos's crosshairs. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not necessarily because, like, obviously, it doesn't, you, you're not just automatically condemned because you're white and a man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it matters how you live. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but like, it's easy for us to forget that we even are complicit in systems of oppression because they're so far beneath us that we forget that like yeah. this cloak was taken as collateral. Yeah. 
people like to make fun of millennials like us for eating avocado toast, right? Right. Like that's yeah. that's the joke in your five dollar avocado toast. And then and we're so far removed like, it's like, okay, fine, funny, funny, whatever. Well, did you know that like a lot of the avocado trade in Mexico mm-hmm. is run through the cartel. Is run through the cartel. So buying five dollar avocado toast is, you know, selling is helping fund cartels in Mexico. Yeah. I'm so far removed from that reality. Right. That it's like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. Like, I'm not part of that system. Like, I am. Am I morally culpable? No, I don't think so. But like... Yeah, because if you stop buying avocados, then thousands of farmers would be unemployed. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> it's such here? a complicated system we live in. Yeah. And it's like, I think... And I think... Yeah. So I don't know why yeah. I brought that up. But it's like... So so there's there's widespread epidemic of, of oppression and systems of oppression that we participate in that we need to be aware of and be asking questions about the, the decisions we make, how we, where we buy our clothes, where we buy our food and make the best decisions we can to be like God mm-hmm. in the world around us. Most yeah. of us won't be able to fix the cartel Yes, like trade of avocado or the the Nikes that were. I mean, like I was just thinking, like you literally it's just a pair of sandals. They, yeah. they sell the poor for a pair of sandals. We pay the poor a dollar and a half for to our make pay, the sandals to make the sandals. Right, like we're not so far away from this. That's right, and so it's like we need to be educated to know how we, uh, you know, interact with these complicated economic systems of oppression and make the best choices we can to be God in the world. Um, I think, and then I was gonna say, but. Also, I should say, and then um, you need to look around you, you know, and like what are like there, there are things closer to yes. home than like sweatshops. Yes. Where injustice is rampant within our own society. The right. neglect of the poor. Yes. Happens ever like I neglect the poor when I'm at a stoplight. Yes. Not like, whenever I buy Nikes. Now, yes, maybe think about buying Nikes, you know, <laughs> right. whether that's a good or bad. Uh, like, but like I neglect the poor more at a stoplight. You know, right. That, that's where it becomes a lot more visceral yes. here. Or even like the, a lot of churches will have, you know, compassion funds mm-hmm. or they, they serve the city. People serve the city through churches, but we fail to even give to our churches right. that are providing for the city. That's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, think about your own personal budget. You know, it's like, yeah. How much of your own personal, personal budget is going towards yourself and like, you're, you know, right. How much is going towards others to, to, to the morally and physically poor. Let me, let me ask a different question. Okay. So it's like, I mean, it's like, we could like, here's all the ways that I feel guilty for not, for not being more just and more equitable and more fair and for caring. Part of me still feels like what we do in neglecting the poor on the sidewalk is just a hop, skip and a jump away from what happened on the ground in Israel during Mm. this. Right. Um, and I'm like, I, still feel a little disconnected like okay what is injustice yeah like and complicit in systems of avocados that feels <laughs> weird i like you know it's like i want i want this to be concrete and i want this to land because it doesn't it doesn't feel like you have been having cultic sex <laughs> on the garments you, that i've stolen from the poor it doesn't feel like you actually engaged in slave trade or human trafficking and you were selling them for right. a buck 50 and that stuff actually happens that stuff does happen and so like there was it, a guy in edmund just a few days ago yeah. that got like got a man and his wife yeah that got busted for this right. human trafficking underage kids right. and so it's like at some sense we don't need to allegorize the injustice of israel to then be like so Basically, you're a slave trader if you buy avocado toast. Right. That's not a helpful way to read scripture. Uh, what I, but on the flip side, I don't want us to just be like, well, then we don't need to think about it because we're not as bad as those people. Well, right. Then, but get back to your question. Yeah. So then let's just think, okay, Israel is the people of God. Mm-hmm. The church, Christians is the people of God. Israel as a nation failed their poor in this way. Mm. What does it look like for a church to fail its poor? Mm. Because that's, I mean, that's the our closest parallel. Like a church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. Yes. A representative of the nation of the kingdom of God here in wherever country you happen to be from. And it's supposed to care for its own poor. Right. So that's where the failure is going to happen, right? Like that's the closest analogy yes. to what's happening in Israel. We need how how are we as the church representing God's justice in this world or failing to do so? Yeah. Right. I think that's closer to. Well, where and I'm, I think we said that earlier, where it's like, uh, or we set it up to say, is that like Israel's not only being judged because of what they're doing; they're judged because of who they are or who they're supposed to be. Yeah. They're God's chosen people. Well, yeah. that title has passed to the church. Yeah, we've been saved by generosity. Yes. 
how can we then not be generous? Are our lives marked by the same generosity to the physically and the morally poor? Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably the question that yes. hits me deeply. Like, oh, if I've been, sa- if I'm like Israel being rescued from Egypt and I've been saved by the gracious host, Jesus, ex- like his lavish generosity mm-hmm. is what has purchased for me a place in his kingdom. Am I mirroring that? Right. Yeah. And I think what I want to say here, it, because this is something that's, it's deeply personal to me yeah. to go back to the beginning of the episode when I was, um, in that social justice angsty time in college, um, I was doing social justice when I when I think back on it, I was doing social justice because I honestly, deep down, even subconsciously thought that if I didn't go downtown mm-hmm. and feed the poor every day, I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. Like because yeah. I was studying Amos, right? <laughs> I was yeah. like, and I was like, oh no. I'm a white man yeah. in America. I need to go be better. Mm-hmm. And like, and I don't want to like discredit that there in was a some, sense. There was some angsty college. David was feeling the weight of Amos. Is that like, yes. like he was feeling the weight of it. But my response to it was not, I wasn't responding to God's generosity. Mm-hmm. Right. I wasn't like, Oh God saved me through an act of generosity. Like he saved Israel through the Exodus. Therefore, God, mark me with your generosity. Like, mm-hmm. and so anyway, what I want to say here is this, uh, as I've worked through that and continue to work through that, the best advice I can give to everyone out there, those who are feeling complacent or apathetic, all the way to those who are feeling guilty that they're having avocado toast. Yeah. Like the best thing I'd say to you is the path toward more justice in your life, the path to getting like more righteousness in your life and more care for the poor in your life is not forcing more social programs into your life and like, you know, making yourself do it because you have to. The, the, the path to embedding generosity into your life is to meditate on the generosity that's been given to you through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Amos brings up here. He's like, don't you know who you are? Yeah. Don't you know who your God is? Don't you know what that God did for you in the Exodus in saving mm-hmm. you? And it's like, the more we meditate on what Jesus has done for us by lavishing generosity on us in his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his new creation, like we just mm-hmm. did, the more we will be marked by generosity and want to live that out and can't help but live it out. The lion has roared and we must yeah. speak. Like like Jesus has saved us. How can we yeah. not love others? Yeah, there will, there will come a time where an Amos-like man will roar the lion's audit over your generosity. Yeah. But the motivating factor is who are you? Yeah. How have you been saved? What is God like? And then you move from that rather than from guilt, shame, or fear. Yeah. So that's, I think that's good news to people feeling guilty. Um, the last thing we want to talk about mm-hmm. with the last bit of good news we want to talk about here is why is this text on its own good news that the oppressors will be judged? Yeah, because if we're going to be talking about like what's native to this text, it's all judgment. There's no there's, there's, hint yeah. of God's generosity except the, the mention of the Exodus. Yeah, we just yeah, we just know he's. We're learning that he's generous, but his people aren't. Therefore, they're being judged. I mean, I think it's good news that God can't stomach injustice and inhumanity. <laughs> yeah, like it's really good news. Um, I think it was Vol- Miroslav Volf mm-hmm. who talked about <clears throat> after um, the. You know, the concentration camps in Germany. He was yeah. a Jew uh, in Croatia, I believe. Yeah, he's an Eastern European Christian yeah. theologian. And he talked about how it, it was hard for him to understand American liberals' um, hesitancy when it comes to God's anger. Uh, he said, like, that's actually a place of privilege to think of God as not being angry. That's right. Because obviously then you've never actually experienced any sort of injustice. Right. Um, you need a God that's on the side of the victim. Mm-hmm. You need a God who's angry at abusers and human traffickers, and you don't want God to show mercy mm. towards people who have proven themselves merciless. Right. You, you need that. So it's good news that God is on the side of... The oppressed. The oppressed. Yeah. Um, it's good news that wrongs will be righted. Yes. It's good news that those who have been shoved down to the bottom all their life with no chance of getting up will one day be lifted up. Yeah. That's good news. Yeah. And like for those of us who don't think that's good news, it's because we're probably on top. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. But like, isn't that, that's, I just can't stop meditating on how good it is that God cares for the poor because God is on the tippy top. 
Yeah. And yet he knows intimately. It's in his very character that he cares for the poor more than I ever will. And I'm just like, God is so good. And he's good not only to care for the poor and lift them up. He's good to judge the oppressed. Because a lot of times, you know, you look around like our cultures, even, I mean, I was going to say in America, but across the globe, oppressors are often celebrated, like given positions of power, uh, given leave from prison. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like they're excused. And, you know, it's like, man, when will certain political leaders finally be held accountable for the many wrong things they've done through policies they've passed through uh trying not to be too specific but right. anyway right you know what i mean yes i'm, re- I'm ready for that day i uh, yeah i want that day i want too. that day oh uh, i would keep thinking about just the phrase like check your privilege yes you know, that phrase and i think it's fascinating like if you don't believe god if you think it's wrong for god to be angry mm. you think it's wrong for god to be wrathful you can't stomach the god of ang- who hates sin mm. That's the checking your privilege moment. Definitely. That proves you don't have a category strong enough to handle the morally poor and the physically poor. And you need to do the work that Amos invites you to to do Mm. and see God as someone who's generous towards the poor, holy, like committed to his justice being done on behalf of the poor and coming to protect those who've been victimized and oppressed. Mm-hmm. Like that type of work is probably the opposite side. Like remember God's generosity towards you in the cross mm-hmm. and understand that if you don't think God is angry, that is a function of your privilege. That's right. Yep. Um, Which is what Amos is bringing up to people. Yes. And I think another a good place in a good place in the New Testament to land the plane here of the good news of God's judgment um Paul especially uh, picks up on this idea that the reason why we as Christians can live in a fallen world, the reason why we can be persecuted for our faith, the reason why we can claim Jesus no matter who is watching, you know, uh, the reason why we can endure hardships and tribulation is because we know that one day God is going to vindicate us. Like the reason why uh, Paul in Romans 12 can say, do not repay evil for evil, right? But overcome evil with good. If your enemy harms you, go bring him a meal. How can you do that if you're a Christian? Like that's too hard. Yeah. He's like, the only way you can do that is because of this statement. He quotes the Old Testament. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's because of this truth here that we're seeing in Amos that God repays evil for evil. Or God repays judgment against evil. God doesn't do evil. Yeah. <laughs> God repays uh, evil with judgment. Um, that is the only way that we can live in an evil world. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like if you're attuned to it, if you check your privilege and realize how hard and evil and corrupt the world is, how can you even wake up in the morning? Yeah, It's because you know that a day of hope is coming mm-hmm. when the oppressors and the violent, when like... The, the 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 what's what's it called uh, the people's liberation army or the or the, the, PLO? the no not the you know what i'm talking about the no in africa the the um oh my goodness i'm showing my ignorance here <laughs> um someone out there knows what i'm talking yeah. about um but it's like they like kidnap children and boko haram oh no yeah it's one of them there's another yeah. one anyway okay. um but yes like boko haram for yeah for example yeah. and it's like how is that okay how is it in the world like, mm-hmm. and like a lot of people, the problem of evil, you know, people like yeah. don't believe in God because of Boko Haram, because right. of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can there be a good God if all this stuff is happening? And it's like, wait, 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 you're not allowing the biblical God to tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. That Boko Haram, the Holocaust, and every single other evil that's ever been perpetrated on the face of this planet will be avenged. Mm-hmm. Like God will make it right. And like, that's really good news, yeah. especially for the oppressed and also for the skeptic who just can't believe in God because of all the evil in the world. Yeah. So um, anyway. So let me it, ask you this. Yeah. Is the gospel a social thing or a belief <laughs> thing? Uh, clearly, I think what we've stumbled into here is we're realizing that if we are people who have been uniquely saved by the generosity of Jesus... Our marks, our, our marks, our lives will be marked by that kind of generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you will know a tree by its fruit. 
mm-hmm. to put it in James' words, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my deeds without faith, or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it's like faith and deeds go together. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have both because uh, one gives fruit to the other. Yeah, and your lack of justice and your lack of generosity can actually be proof of your lack of faith. Right, it can be proof of your idolatry, which we'll talk a little bit right. about next time too. Yep. And the antidote to that is not to then go stack up works. Yeah, the antidote is not like, okay, let me feel, make myself feel really, really guilty for being a white guy mm-hmm. and then do all this stuff to like push back that. That's not how you're saved. Right. You're saved by running back to the source of generosity, which yes. is Jesus himself, and he will mark you with his generosity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's Amos 1 to 2. Mm-hmm. Next week we'll be in 3 to 6. That's and right. we'll talk about the famous phrase from that, that Martin Luther King even quoted, right? Yeah. Uh, Which, let uh, justice roll like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So I'm very excited to talk about that passage. So uh, we'll see you guys next week to talk about that. Until then, be see blessed, you. read Amos, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.